I have to say that is the first time I've ever been introduced by a video. That is, that's incredible. It is a joy to be with you today. Um, this is the first time I think I've ever preached in jeans, but Terry told me he does a lot. Is that right? So this is right? I told my wife, <laughs> I said, this is great today. I get to wear my jeans. This is fantastic. It is, um, I think, something very significant happening around the valley today that 20 or more churches uh, were willing to submit to um, the passing of a basket uh, last fall where we drew names out of a basket and we found uh, where we were going to go on this Pastor Swap Sunday. No conniving. There was no shrewd bargaining. I want so-and-so to come to my church. It was say, Lord, we are your under shepherds, we serve one church, and uh, l- let's, let's create a sacrament of trust, something physical that shows that we're together in this mission, despite our distinctives and our differences. And uh, it's happening around the valley today. I think there will be tremors in the spiritual realm because we do this together. I want to say I love uh, getting to know Pastor Terry. He's been an, an encouragement to me. You guys are f- so fortunate to have him as a shepherd. Um, just, I'm going through some things, and he was able to speak just some real wisdom into my life just recently, and uh, grateful for that. Grateful, just to, you're this tremendous worship team that you have. What a, what a, what a gift. Um, someone that can make videos like that? I mean, that's kind of rare. So, you know, very, very cool. Very good things happening. Um, Great sound, people in the back there. <laughs> Brian is an old friend of mine, so listen, it's great to be with you. I just, I'm just excited and uh, excited to share with you on your series. You've been, you've been doing a series called Walk Across, Just Walk Across the Room. I know this is the fourth week, and I told Terry, I'd love to just step into the groove of what you've been talking about and see if I could bring some thoughts to that. I know that you've been talking about 3D living, is that correct? All right, so what, what was the first one? Dell friendships, second one, stories, which is now why Blake is saying, hey, come on, send us your stories, 100 words or less, and let's, let's keep telling our stories. And then the third one, next steps, right. Today, uh, we're calling today um, the grander vision living, and, and I want to see if I can put walking across the room into a, a bigger context, and let me tell you why. Recently, with the disaster in Haiti, um, I don't know if it left a lot of you just feeling kind of unsettled as you walked into your home at night with water and food and beds, and you think, man, there's tough things going on in the world. Or um, a few weeks ago at our church, we had a guest who talked about the pandemic of AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa. as the largest human catastrophe in the history of the world, greater than Maybe even Noah's flood. This, 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 the weight of what's happening in, in Africa. And like no other time in history, we are exposed to the entire needs of the world. Overwhelming. Through paper, television, radio, internet. I mean, it's, we're bombarded with it. Do any of you feel sort of overwhelmed by the needs of the world almost suffocating us? I, oh, there's a bunch of nails here. Is there any symbolism having nails on the... Okay. (laughs) There you go. There you go. 
I was driving home from, um, I'm from the Northwest, and I was driving home a couple of uh, years ago, and I was, I, I love poetry and words, and I was just getting, I was being taken in by the beauty of the drive down I-5 through Oregon, and suddenly I was just sort of suffocated by the sense of need, and I thought, is it, is it even legitimate that I could enjoy the beauty of this ride for a moment when there's so much suffering in the world? And um, I wrote, I wrote some words down. I want to read them to you to kind of give you the sense of the struggle that I often feel, and I bet a lot of us do. These words go like this. Somewhere there's someone who's suffering. The thought of which robs me of leisure to soak in the scenery around me. Encasing my soul in a freezer kept cold by relentless exposure to sorrows, exceeding the banks of capacity on clear perspective. Unleashing, along with the pangs of inaction, the strict prohibition to let go a moment, the oozing and tattered shrouds squeezing the world. To rest in this cradle of beauty, this crowding and curling cloud blanket, the infinite varying of green play, the tree line and roadside and mountain, rocking me gently, the sweet sway suppressed and capsized too quickly by weight of the somewhere and someone. Does anybody relate to that? I might be a little more neurotic than most people, but I, I bet that touches something for us. What I want to ask the question today is, does walking across the room have anything to say about our place as Christ followers in the great drama that's happening all over the world? A couple weeks ago, I heard a speaker say, uh, call us to, to be rescued from the trivial. And I, and I said, man, I, I, I want to be rescued from the trivial. And yet when I think about my life and, and our lives, I mean, our lives are filled with mundane things. Right? We get up, we take a shower like we do every morning, we clean, clean and dishes, take the kids to school, we're, we're, we drive, we do our drives to work, we have laundry, we come home, we have to go shopping, we have to replace this, fix that, mow the lawn. And we think, man, so much time in life is filled up with mundane, ordinary stuff, and there's so much great needs. How do we live lives of deep significance? How do we know that we're staying true to the mission of Jesus as his church? I think walking across the room has something to play in the big puzzle. And I, and I, and I want to look at a scripture. I think we have it up on the screen today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And in fact, I, I see in your bulletin that uh, it is suggested a memory verse for the week. Do you guys have one every week? Yeah, that's, that is very, that's very cool. And Ephesians chapter 2, 10. Uh, this verse gives me a lot of hope today. Um, <clears throat> for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I read this and I think, you know what? There is a sense in which God has a destiny upon my life and your life, and there is a, a road, a pathway of, of actual things that God has in mind for us to do that play a part of his whole, 
this whole great drama for the world, and I have a part to play in it. My question is, how do I stay in that path? How do I know if I'm in the path that God has prepared for me? Because I think I want to wake up in the morning and, and, and say, you know, my life is not trivial. That I'm actually walking in a path that God has prepared for me to, to live out my part of the big puzzle. I think there's a principle, and I would call this principle maybe the progression principle or the ladder principle is why we have a ladder on the this, on, on this stage here today. The principle goes something like this. To get to the top of the ladder, you have to walk up one rung at a time. It might be something like this. A journey of a thousand miles begins with first step. It might be something like this, that the seed of God's preferred future for you actually rests in the things that are near and now. Let me give you five examples from the Bible. Now, did you all get uh, little purple outlines as you've come in? So you can follow my thinking today. I'm going to hit a lot of scriptures, and we won't have time to look at all of them, but this is a great tool to go back and, and reflect on what we've talked about through the week. Five scriptures that, that, that sort of play out this, what I might call the, the ladder or progression principle, and they are these. Number one, Acts 1-8, when Jesus sends out his uh, disciples, or he's about to go to heaven, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and then wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, you'll receive power, and, you, and you'll be my witnesses. And, and look at the progression, right? In Jerusalem, home base, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So it's interesting that Jesus outlaid a ladder principle. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Second observation. Jesus' own ministry, who's the model of our ministry, he comes and he makes it clear that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's actually an awkward story when he encounters a Gentile woman out north of Israel and they have this encounter where he's drawing faith out of her. But he identifies that his mission was very particular, very located, very geographically in a very small zone. I think that's why, by the way, he says to his disciples later, greater things you'll do than even I have done. But I'm struck by the fact that Jesus, who's fulfilling the great covenant to Abraham, which meant God's blessing would go to the ends of the earth, Jesus focuses in a very small area. So think of that. Third thing I think of is the Great Commission. You find that at the end of Matthew, chapter 28. It's the sending out of his disciples, but it's, it's intriguing if you look at the grammar of go, therefore, into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which is coming up on March 14. Um, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. It's interesting, if you look at the Greek underneath that English translation, the, the most literal translation is that the, the command is make disciples. The opening go, therefore, is actually a participle, which might be translated most literally, having gone into the world, make disciples of all nations. Sometimes we put so much emphasis on go, and we think, well, where do I go? How do I go to Haiti? Do I go to, to Africa? And that commission assumes a going. And the command is on make disciples. So to note that, three. Four, Paul uh, and Barnabas are missionaries and they go to, throughout Asia Minor. Do you know that they always go um, to the, the, the Jewish synagogues when they go to these various cities first? They go to this context of home, of friend, of neighbor, of familiar context. And then things always happen. They typically are kicked out and they begin this reach out to the Gentiles in those cities. Just notice that. Five, Jesus teaching in Luke 11, or excuse me, in chapter 10. And his basic teaching with a parable is, he says this, the one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. 
But the one who's not faithful in little won't be faithful in much. Now, I put those five, those five glimpses that all reflect what you might call the mustard seed principle of, of, of Jesus' kingdom that starts out small and grows into this big tree, as Jesus said. And it suggests that God has a plan, a way of working from the inside out. I think it has something to do with integrity, which means if I don't do something close, why would I think that I would do something far away? If I don't do something here and now, why do I think it would be any different at any other time or any other place? It's something like watercolors. Anybody paint with watercolors in here? Is there any watercolor artists? There's, there's a young one there. You know what? I don't, I, I've seen it a little bit, which I understand is that watercolor is a tricky medium where you have to lay down a layer and let it dry before you, you put the next layers on top of it or else the colors will, will you know, will, will do something bad. And uh, so, so there's something about layering in watercolor painting that, that gives a, uh, that gives, I think, sort of a, a picture of what I'm talking about. The idea that I want to give today, big idea, is this. If that's true, if we look at the overwhelming needs of the world and feel paralyzed or feel this low-grade sense of guilt, we don't know what to do about that, is there a way to focus with tangible grip um, this week and today and next steps? Is there something that we could do? There is, if we buy into the progression principle, that there's something close. There's what, I'm gonna, what I might call a first-rung action that puts us squarely on that path of Ephesians chapter 2, on that path of God's plan for us. And so what I want to ask is, what is that first rung? Now, I think, what I'm going to propose to you, the first rung is Jesus's... Am I still there? There he goes. I thought maybe I had muted myself with my elbow. John chapter 13, 34, famous verse... Jesus is about to be killed. These are last words to his disciples. And you always want to notice someone's last words. They're usually most important. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then Jesus, you know what he'll do? He'll say this two more times in John chapter 15. And in John 15, when he says it two more times, then he will say, he'll sort of unpack what it means to love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his or her life for his or her friends. That's John 15, verse 13. For the first time I noticed Jesus' language, lay down your life for your friends is the fulfillment of this new central command that Jesus leaves us with. And I, and I pick up the language, friends. He didn't say lay down your life for a stranger or for an enemy. He said for a friend. And I thought, really? What do you think is harder? To love a friend or to love a stranger? I, I, I think your intuitive answer would be stranger because, well, we don't know them. But stranger loving is typically event oriented. It's usually, it's usually um, sort of temporary. Friend loving, do you realize you can't get away from your f- real friends? I mean, you got them for a long time. And I include family in this. What's harder to love a friend or a family member? Okay, I heard it. I heard it. 
Why? Because family, you have family, you have family the whole way, all the way through. You can't get rid of family, right? What's the more, what is the more profound form of soul training in love? I think Jesus is on to something. He'll say in 1 John, well, John will say in 1 John through the Spirit, he'll say, you know, if you can't love your brother who you can't see, how do you love God who you can't see? There's this integrity principle rising up that laying down our lives for our friends, for our family, well, that's a more rigorous form of love. Think about that. Let me, let me share with you two more of what I call kernel statements in the Scriptures. A kernel statement is when I think Jesus or someone in the scriptures, is trying to give a sort of a summary statement that sort of summarizes a, a lot of stuff into one simple concept. I think love one another is one of those. Another one of those is Jesus when he's asked uh, in, uh, I think it's, what is it, Luke 10. Someone says, uh, what is the greatest commandment? I mean, now, the Old Testament has a lot of commandments, 700 and something. What's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what Jesus said to this particular scribe? Luke chapter 10, you can read it uh, more later you know, this week, but he says, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says, and a second is like it. Now he goes to the book of Leviticus and he says, love your... Notice again, it's, it's language of the first rung. Love your neighbor as yourself. In these two things, you fulfill all. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. So then the scribe wants to say, well, exactly who's my neighbor? Let me get this clear. And then there's the story of the Good Samaritan, which most of us are probably familiar. If you're not new, if you're new to church or you're not, you're, you're not sure about that story, it's a very famous story. You can read about it this week in Luke 10. But in essence, the neighbor is one who had a need that the guy encountered on his way. Colonel statement number one. Let me give you another colonel statement. This time it's from... James, James, uh, the brother of Jesus and leader of the early church, wrote a, a fiery epistle in the back of our New Testament, James chapter 1. He's giving one of these kernel statements, one of these summary statements, and he says this. Chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this. You hear kind of, here's coming a kernel statement. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there again we have this idea that to sum it up, to reach, to initiate entrance into the orphan and the widow. And here I don't think it means just technically orphans and widows because that represents those who are vulnerable, those who are helpless, those in need. The word affliction here enhances that idea. The ones with need around you Enter into it, not to fix it, not to solve it, not to be the savior of it, but to be present in it. And to keep oneself unstained from the world, James says. Now, here's another question. Do you think those two ideas are meant to be apples and oranges? Enter into the needs of those vulnerable around you. And by the way, also keep yourself unstained from the world. Or maybe those two ideas are so connected in James' mind that it is when we enter into the needs of those around us, when we just walk across the room to somebody right there, maybe that is when 
Something's happening in us that's unstaining or freeing up our souls from the bondage of this world and this culture. Maybe that's how we keep ourselves free and agile in spirit. Summary so far. We want to live into the heart of the mission of God for us as his people. We live in a context with information overload that the needs of the world are overwhelming and paralyzing. What do we do today? What do we do tomorrow? There's a principle throughout the scriptures called the progression, the first rung principle that says that God answers the puzzle, the greater, more complex puzzle, one step at a time. So this week, find a first rung and grip and be faithful there and do that. That will put you squarely in the path of God's design and plan for you. What is that first rung? We've said simply, in the words of Jesus, to love one another. Extend it out to love your neighbor. Extend it out to love those around you where needs become apparent, where you could enter in and be present. So far, so good? Here's my question. There's a part of me that still goes, but is, is that enough? How does my loving my family, my friend, my neighbor, those around me, how does that help the ends of the earth? Have I just created a theological rationale to not have to worry about the news anymore? I don't think so. Let me talk to you about what I think is the integral connection between the first rung and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth rung. It's this. First of all, do you know that you and I are not called to save the world? Do you know that's not the burden that God puts upon you to be the savior of the world? There is already one. His name is Jesus Christ and he's quite competent at it. Right? That's his shoulder to bear, not ours. Secondly, that Jesus is there wherever there is already. At work. The kingdom of God has broken into this world and his reign is what we are to declare and demonstrate as we move through this world and it's there. Secondly, Jesus' people are already there all over the world and guess what Jesus is calling his people in those places to do? Love one another. Love your neighbor. Love the orphan and the widow. So guess what? There's already operations everywhere. But it might be that as a burden forms in your heart, God might call you somewhere else. Past the first rung, past the second rung, maybe up here to the third rung. He might call you, and he made our ears, so he's able to tell you if he is. But when you think of a verse in 2 Chronicles 69, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to show himself strong to those whose hearts are completely his. In other words, the work of loving one another, the first rung work before us, makes us eligible for any other rung work there might be that God might want to do. And if, in fact, he has in mind to call you to some circle, Samaria, to some end of the earth, if there is a design, your pathway there, it will always begin here. Always. And you don't have to worry about putting the plan together for yourself because it's not your plan anyway. And God's 
masterful way of working through this network of relationship is that he will, as I said earlier, put the seed of the top somewhere in this first rung. So sometimes you'll find um, a pathway to places unexpected in the relationships you already have. There's a woman in my church named Leanne Williams whose story inspires me because she has worked as an occupational therapist and has worked with Young Life Capernaum Project, which is a Young Life outreach to those students, young people with, uh, with disabilities. And uh, she's been faithful in that area of her life uh, in rung one, loving uh, her neighbor, caring for that. And opportunities have come at different times where she was asked to go give some teaching about disability ministry, first some years ago in Armenia, which led to some connections. This is a short-term trip which led to some connections that asked her to come back some years later to Macedonia, which just led to interesting connections. And it was last year ago that she got asked to just go do some teaching for some Kenyan pastors in Africa uh, about disability ministry. And she tells the story that she's there and the vice president of the country and his wife flies into this one place where they're doing this conference. And she's invited to the vice president of Kenya's home to talk about this ministry and meet him and his wife. Now, now, I just love this story. Look at Leanne. It's just like, just normal you and me, loving people around her, and this interesting path that led her to the living room of the vice president of the country of Kenya happened without worrying, without a five-year plan, you know, without this, you know, without LinkedIn uh, or Facebook connections, I, you know, whatever. We try to get it all worked out. And God is a masterful puzzle maker. And he says, be faithful right now with the little I've given you. Love your neighbor. Love your mother-in-law. <laughs> Guys, love your father-in-law. Love your cousin. Love your family. Love your neighbor across the street. Love your children. You know, Mother Teresa, who I think uh, exemplifies... Um, you know, impacting the world one person at a time. Listen to what she says. I'm struck by this. She, she says, sometimes when I encounter selfish parents, I tell myself, it is possible that these parents worry about those who are hungry in Africa and in India or in other countries of the third world. It is possible that they dream of ending the hunger felt by any human being. However, they live unaware of their own children of having that poverty and that hunger in their very own homes. Moreover, they themselves are the ones who cause that hunger and that poverty. Struck by that. As a pastor who has children, I live with the, um, you know, with the story, with the narrative of pastors' families that explode Because sometimes it's easier to be out loving a parishioner than being there with your family. And that story is duplicated by missionaries, but it can be duplicated by any of us. I hope you hear me say this morning that um, it's not either or. It's connected. But the good news is we have a first rung to begin on. Walk. Across the room. Love those within reach 
It's part of God's master plan. Because if we could, in fact, arrange in just two days a worldwide sprint and take in every sight and sound underneath the firmament that wraps it all beneath the blue, I'll tell you something true. That every mountain range, each stretch of desert, sea, or prairie wide, each monument upon the earth, each trophy of a people's pride, each strange and wonderful and new, but still, I'll tell you something true. In every place, if you would take a moment just to stop and stare into the eyes of some small child sitting by the roadside there, whether brown eyes, green or blue, I'll tell you something true. You'll see the whole world there at once. A strangely close, familiar sight. The same horizon that you've seen while tucking in your child at night. And so I'll tell you something true. Around the world in a day or two, you'll see it all, but nothing new when the eyes of a child look back at you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I would ask for us, as we live in a world where the weight of need crushes us, if we even begin to take it seriously. And for those of us who want to be faithful to you, as, as sons and daughters of the living God and, and co-heirs with Jesus, the ruler, and be a part of the renewing of this world... It can be a bewildering path before us that we do not know how to negotiate out of our own wisdom. So I thank you for giving us a starting point, a first rung, where at least we can do that. We can do that at least as a way to position ourselves to be your tools, to be used by you, to be prepared for whatever you might call us to do in whatever way you'll call us to do it. Would you set us free into that good news, faithful in the things around us, trusting you to lead us further as you will, content in faithfulness in the ordinary places, trusting that your supernatural work will have its way. Lord, we leave the burden of saving the world to you and we ask you to strengthen us to love one another, to walk across the room and love our neighbor to develop friendships and to hear and tell our stories, to look into these moments and discern what would you have us do or say as a way of expressing this first-rung integrity. We ask for this in Jesus' name.